Hey, language lovers. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues. In this episode, we're talking with Tom about the language he grew up speaking and how coming to the U.S. and having to learn English has impacted his life. He also talks to us about the gradual way that parts of his heritage have made their way into popular culture, and he even teaches us a few swear words. And we even learned a little bit about the alphabet. So let's get into it. Again, just a warning, this episode contains mature language, so listener discretion is advised. So hi, Tom. Thanks for talking with me today. I'm happy to, to have you on the show. And um, how's, how's it going? Everything's going well? Yeah, it's uh, great over here, uh, Christmas holiday season in Southern California. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everything's good. How are you doing over in the uh, sunny New York, frozen oh, New York? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> we're doing okay. Um, <laughs> so let's jump in. I want to ask you, and I want you to tell everybody listening, what is your first language? Um, I was born in Vietnam, so I grew up uh, uh, learning Vietnamese, speaking Vietnamese, mm-hmm. that is. And then in 1975, in the fall of uh, Saigon, uh, our family fled from Vietnam. So we were the first uh, refugee boat, uh, wave of uh, Vietnamese uh, boat people, refugees. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, from 75. And then in 75, we were accepted uh, to America and Arkansas. And then 76, lived in Hunts Beach ever since. Then, how, so, how old were you, if you I don't was, mind saying? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was five years old. Okay. And so going back to my Vietnamese is around equivalent of a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I do have, I was raised uh, with a very traditional family. So when I was home, I spoke Vietnamese all the time. And then uh, going to school, I spoke English. And so a little bit of dual dichotomy. But, um, you know, back in the 70s, you know, uh, elementary school didn't have really uh, a broad sense of acceptance of of uh, foreign language, foreign language. Um foreign language students mm-hmm. so it's pretty much like you're thrown into the mix of learning english and so we were kind of like this is this is it you know uh we learn english <laughs> uh, speak <laughs> vietnamese at home and learn, uh, speak english outside of school when you when you moved here were there any other children around your age that you were able to speak vietnamese with either in um, school or your family Within my family, there used to be uh, my nephew and nieces around my same age and, uh, and kids throughout the neighborhood here and there. And we spoke uh, Vietnamese to each other, but then, um, you know, outside at school, as the, the more we went to school, the more the pressure became to Americanize. So we spoke less uh, Vietnamese among ourselves with our American friends. Mm-hmm. And how did you... How do you feel that experience was for you when you were that young? Do you feel that you, did you, were you consciously aware of what was happening? Uh, yeah. Wise and did you, how did that, how did that feel to you? Uh, yeah, I can, I can actually remember the, the frustration of, you know, uh, speaking predominantly Vietnamese and then going to school. Uh, this is probably like around uh, second, third grade. And you can only understand a little bit of here and there what the teacher mm-hmm. says, but at home, you can, uh, uh, you, uh, um, at home, and if we're friends, you can fluently uh, speak to one another. So I, I can remember I have a story on that one. Um, so every Sunday we go to church. My mom and dad, my family are very devout uh, mm-hmm. Catholics. So we go to church, and I have to sit up in the front row uh, with Tanyu uh, Tande, which is the Sunday school equivalent of um, Vietnamese mm-hmm. kids. So there's banners that are up at the church and they have letters or symbols. For me, this around third grade, second grade, I look at the banners and I see these are symbols. I didn't understand what they were, right? I understood what the priest was speaking in Vietnamese, mm-hmm. 
but the banners were in a foreign language or foreign symbols I didn't understand. I was probably in the third grade, second grade at okay. that time. But then, yeah, then one summer, I just kind of like got frustrated of all the kids making fun of me. So I, I purposely forced myself to stop talking in Vietnamese and try to force myself to speak English uh, during uh, that one particular time uh, season, actually. And so it was a little bit of a, uh, a challenge there because, you know, natively you're thinking in your native mm-hmm. language and then you want to speak English, then you have to translate right. to English, right? Right. So f- f- fast forward, um, I did better in school and learned how to read. And then all of a sudden one day uh, at school, at church, I started looking at the banners again. I realized those aren't funny symbols. Those are actual right. words. <laughs> Now I realized all these years these were uh, <laughs> actual words of praises or something like that on the banners, not funky symbols that didn't make sense right. to me at all. Though, so. Did you have any? Yeah. Did you have any resources that you typically went to around that time that you can remember? Like, I spoke with um, another language learner who talked about children's books. As an adult, actually, she went back to um, looking at children's books to learn another language. But I think that I'm just I guess I'm just curious, um, was it reading that that you gravitated toward or did you focus on listening to people and um, that sort of comprehension or did you focus on writing and in what ways were you were you able to draw upon resources to to help you during that summer that you decided to 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 focus on on learning English? Um, for me, it was uh, mostly communication, verbally talking to other people, but then also forcing my my thought. I can really uh, tell that I'm speaking my native language in Vietnamese, and then. I would have to translate that to English words and then speak it out. And then through repetitive, I was able to start thinking in that of uh, English as opposed to Vietnamese. Though. Mm-hmm. So I was probably like, you know, this was third grade, second grade, whatever. So I was probably like eight years right. old, uh, seven years old, yeah. around there. But this is transitioning from Vietnamese to English. But then... Um, when I was taking on, um, yeah, to take a learn a foreign language in in um, high school, so I, I took Spanish, okay. and I was yeah, I was kind of forcing myself to do the same thing of repetitiveness and uh, and and vocabulary. Grammar was here and there, but I really focused on that of vocabulary, and then getting the message across, and then trying to force myself to think in the native language uh, with the broken grammar uh, first and then uh, start speaking uh, uh, in that language. So how long yeah. do you, how long do you think that it was roughly from the time where you were looking at these symbols and they were just symbols until you really felt like you had a good grasp on being able to communicate in English? Oh, that one. Uh, well, I was a child, so learning was a lot more easier. Life <laughs> was a lot simpler back then, you know. Uh, you wake up, get fed, go right. to school, you know, play with kids. You know? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, so, but uh, I would say it wasn't that ch- challenging. It was just more just repetitiveness. And it probably took a good uh, six months or a year of switching over. And I kind of sensed, I do recall that um, my mom and dad being a little bit sad in the fact that I'm no longer speaking natively uh, uh, Vietnamese at home as opposed to English. Really? So the stronger my yeah, the stronger my English became, the weaker my Vietnamese became, and so uh, it was I uh, slowly propagated more to become a native English speaker. And I kind of said, since my mom were a little bit sad about the fact that she was complaining, complaining like, why are you speaking English? At, <laughs> you're at home speaking English. I was going to ask, how did your parents communicate that with you? Like, how did, how did they show that, 
that they were disappointed? I mean, did they say it or were you able to just tell that? Um, and, and, and furthermore, your siblings and your nieces and your nephews, did, did they also have the same, uh, the more they spoke English, the less Vietnamese they, they held on to? Yeah, actually, uh, similar enough, um, my nieces and uh, nephews were roughly around the same age, you know, differences of that of uh, four or five years mm-hmm. old, but we're still also grew up in King America when we were kids, and then we grew up in America, and I kind of felt the same way, you know, um, growing up as kids, uh, we're able to play with each other and speak to each other in Vietnamese, but then as we got older, uh, English became the predominant um uh, go to uh, language to talk to one another, but then when we're talking to our elders, like my I talk to my mom and dad, or my older older uh, siblings, or they speak to their mom and dad, uh, they converse in uh, Vietnamese and broken mm-hmm. Vietnamese, that is. So, uh, but amongst uh, us uh, people of the same age range, we uh, predominantly speak English. You know, with a lot of uh, broken. Um, Vietnamese thrown into there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it makes it interesting. So when you were when you were in high school and you had to take that that Spanish class, the Spanish lessons, uh-huh. how do you think that already going through the the process of learning English and and already speaking Vietnamese and you're kind of losing one and gaining another how did how did spanish figure into that how did you how were you able to to study how were you able to learn what were you interested in about in in spanish was it a challenge for you this is like a multifaceted question but <laughs> but um what's the background history your motivation <laughs> i guess um <sighs> I guess what I want to know is how did you how did you find that challenge of taking on yet a third language that really has nothing to do linguistically with the other two that you already know? Uh, well, uh, it was a requirement was a requirement in high school, right? So, and also the only offerings that had for uh, foreign language offerings that had were that either German, oh. French. Yeah, or Spanish, right? The, and it was one of those required curriculums within uh, uh, high school. So obviously, um, a lot of the Vietnamese kids in high school, remember, this is in the 80s, so this is very still old school uh, uh, academia <laughs> requirements, you know, and the offerings were still very Anglo-Saxon, you know, Western Hemisphere right. uh, countries, you know, German, French, and and then Spanish. Right. So a lot of the Vietnamese kids in high school, they took uh, French, whereas me, I took a more pragmatic approach. And I said, uh, I'm going to use I want to take Spanish because we live in Southern California here. So there's so many more Spanish here. So it's going to come in handy eventually. (laughs) It's going to come in handy eventually. So, you know, um, I I went through the typical uh, typical, uh, Spanish uh, high school curriculum that everyone, I'm certain everyone has their stories on learning a foreign language in high school. You know, just you learn the vocabulary, learn the basic grammar and repetitive, repetitive. And it was a challenge like uh, any other uh, classes. But what I found how it was useful was that in high school, I wasn't really interested much with many uh, Hispanics. So I wasn't really using my Spanish as much. It wasn't until I started traveling on my own where I was in Spain. And that three year of high school, Spanish came in really handy. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's good. Were you yeah, yeah. Were, were you traveling in Spain shortly thereafter or are you talking about much more in the future? Oh, much more. We're talking probably like around 20 years or I 15 think years. I think that's after. great because a lot of people their high school language is out the window. As soon as they get that diploma, a lot of people don't retain their high school level of fluency. Yeah. I mean, and for me, when I was in high school, I took Latin for four years. Oh, yeah, right. Oh. And when I first started to study Latin in high school, I said, oh my God, this is so dreadfully boring. And <laughs> 
and it was it was difficult because you know like you said you didn't really uh spend a lot of time with the latinos in your high school there were no people uh, speaking latin so i really had come on you mean that's a rage in in oh yeah yeah yeah. we weren't we weren't there were no hipsters yet speaking latin in in, in the coffee shops yet so (laughs) (laughs) all the cool kids are speaking latin right 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 so so i think that um you know, for me to keep up with Latin was extremely hard, but I think what it did for me was it gave me, um, it gave me um, like a foundation for all mm. the other languages that I've been able to study. So, you know, the roots, the yeah. roots are very similar in a lot of, you know, in Spanish and French and Portuguese and Italian. So, but mm. Latin, I, I recently you know, every couple of years I say, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get this Latin. I'm going to get it together. And get right, right, <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, um, going back to high school briefly, there were other Vietnamese uh-huh. kids in your high school. How was it communicating with them? Did you find that they also were in the same situation as you where they were gaining English and losing Vietnamese or did they speak Vietnamese with one another? Uh, did they? Oh, that's, that's, that's actually a really interesting uh, question there because um, I was the first part, the first wave of Vietnamese refugee uh, vote uh, people refugees. So that was in 75 and there were subsequent uh, waves of refugees in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and then in the mid-80s. So within my high school, uh, Ocean View High School in Huntington Beach, was that? Um, so you have uh, waves of kids that have, Vietnamese kids that had already been in California since 75, and then another wave of Vietnamese kids come in in late 70s, early 80s, and then another one in the mid-80s. So you had a, a, a definite Demographics of, of Vietnamese kids that spoke uh, a variety level of um, uh, Vietnamese proficiency, and within the community here in Orange County, uh, as it was growing up um, through the uh, '80s, um, there was enough that a Vietnamese community that you can actually uh, be fluent in Vietnamese and not need English wow. at all. So. Yeah, yeah. So that the, the Vietnamese community in which got got so large, it kind of became uh, self-sustaining. But going back to my communication with other kids, I had a little bit difference. Was that since I had been in America uh, since '75, my my predominant uh, proficiency was in that of English, and I was a little bit weak, definitely weak in that of Vietnamese. So a lot of the kids I hung out with, the Vietnamese kids I hung around with, um, some of them. Um, were a, little, a lot more proficient in English, and others were a lot more proficient in. So you have a dichotomy of, of proficiency. For the most part, the uh, kids who prefer to speak themselves, and the kids, the Vietnamese kids that were a little bit more that of uh, Americanized and spoke more English, they hung out themselves. So it was a little bit of a niche there, but still predominantly. Um, you know, they knew uh, the whole population of the Vietnamese community, mm-hmm. uh, high school kids. Uh, they all kind of like knew each other because they were so small. But there, there was the. So, um, but definitely, uh, when you know that you're speaking someone that prefers to speak Vietnamese, they speak Vietnamese, and they would laugh at my proficiency of Vietnamese when I try to speak to them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like reverse, uh, reverse. Uh, uh, psychology versus reverse yeah. prejudice there. Yeah, they thought like, dude, you should be speaking to me. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you been back to Vietnam as an adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a trip there. Um, I've been back um, three separate trips. Oh, wow. And how how, yeah, how yeah. has it been? And you said you feel like a you have the Vietnamese of a five year old. How was that being a five-year-old on your own in in, in Vietnam? Oh. <laughs> okay, so I got a great story for you here. Is that okay? So uh, the first time going back to Vietnam was that it had been already like 34 years that I've been in America, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, 
my Vietnamese is that of like a five, seven-year-old kid. Anyway, so we landed into Vietnam and just get out of the plane and we get this rush of hot, humid Vietnamese air. And it's it's like my first time there. I was going back with my dad. And yeah, so we went through security. We got shaken down at the security lodge here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they, they literally saw that my dad had like around four or five large boxes uh, as part of his thing. And they pulled us into this office and said, hey, uh, you're exceeding your beyond capacity, blah, blah, blah. So so literally, the guy was shaking us down for Vietnamese money. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, and I was going through a culture shock because my dad's like uh, yelling back and forth. I'm trying to be the middleman. But here I am in a foreign country, my motherland. And I'm thinking in English, and I'm translating it into Vietnamese. Then I then I speak it to him Vietnamese, right? So, so that was like the big major shock there, realizing that I'm Vietnamese, and I had to really quickly adjust accordingly. So, I I, I found that definitely I was still thinking in English, and then then, then converting to Vietnamese, and then speaking out Vietnamese. And so, long story short, uh, we. Gave, uh, gave him $100 American dollars, which is like more than six months pay for him. And he let us go. And then throughout the whole, it took me a good two or three days before in a complete environment where everyone's speaking English, uh, Vietnamese and there was no English spoken at all. It took me a good two or three days where I had to force myself to now start thinking natively right. in Vietnamese. and. And speaking out in, in English as opposed to thinking in English and then translating it into Vietnamese. So, so once I had that switched over, um, learning was a little bit better. Um, I still stumbled with uh, the grammar was there because uh, I had always spoken it uh, throughout my life. But, you know, um, the vocabulary was limited, weak. But as I was talking with more people, I picked up a lot more vocabulary. And I became a little bit more, uh, less timid, but a little bit more comfortable to uh, joke around with people. So, yeah, so it was a challenge, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier was that, you know, I had to force myself thinking from that of um, your native language and then then converting it over to uh, another language. And once you make that switch over, then then it's a little bit easier to to, uh, adapt. And, you know, it's basically, yeah, learning new language, immerse yourself. <laughs> yeah, it. and I, I think that's the, the switch that um, I go through, and I've said this um, in other episodes as well, that I I grew up only speaking English. So I any languages that I've studied and I've learned, I've done it as an adult. And um, I always have that that exactly what you had in Vietnam where you're hearing it and it has to go through the machine and then mm-hmm. you have to you have to understand what was said and then you have to form a response so it's it's a lot yeah. of machination that goes on in your brain and like you said it just it takes time and you have to be brave and you have to uh, be willing to make a fool of yourself, right? And um, and I guess the only difference is that in your case, you know, you this is a return to your homeland. Um, did yeah. you have any feelings about that? And if it's too personal, you don't have to answer. But did you have uh, well, any feelings just... about that being uh, ethnically Vietnamese and uh, just, I guess. If we're adopted, or, uh-huh. or how? Yeah, like how did how did yeah, it feel? Just like coming coming home to your language, or coming coming into your language. Uh, culture wise, yeah, because you know it's been it's exactly what you said. It's a bit of a shock, you know. Uh, I've been in America uh, for thirty four years, and pretty much my entire education uh, has been here, and um, culturally. Um, American then Vietnamese, but now coming back home is just like this wave of of like of realization that hey, this is my heritage. You know, I was born in this country. And this is my native language, and I was with my father too. So 
that was another uh, dimensional aspect to this trip of the fact that uh, we're going through all his hometown where he was born in and married, met my mom and married, and then all the other towns, even to the towns where I was born in. And, and it was uh, a great aspect to reconnect with my culture, but also to reconnect with my lineage as in my family lineage because of, uh, you know, um, rediscovering all, all the things that what my father experiences, what he did, and, and culturally-wise, uh, the family um, behaviors. You know, I'm starting to see from my distant cousins how a particular brother behaves. It's like, oh, I see that, my brother. Oh, I see that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the first trip was really great of reconnecting uh, with my culture, but in addition, reconnecting with my my heritage of my legacy of my family. Right. Right. And then the second or third trip was where I just I went by with friends uh, and it was more of a tourist uh, experience. And and that was fun also of just going back and being able to speak Vietnamese, uh, still stumbling across. <laughs> but, but they know, they know precisely that uh, we're American Vietnamese. We're not Native American Vietnamese. Right. Yeah, the, there's a terminology called uh, the ill. Meaning that Vietnamese that had were uh, live in America, but they came back to Vietnam as a, basically equivalent of an expat, mm-hmm. right? So he's a Vietnamese expat, you know, and so we stand out like we are. We have different clothings, we <laughs> have different haircuts, we're a lot more stockier or meatier in building than the typical <laughs> Vietnamese. <laughs> so we stick out like sore thumb like that, and. I was talking with a Vietnamese taxi driver, and he says, "No matter how much uh, a particular Vietnamese person speaks English very well, he can always tell by two things that this person is from America, and not from that of uh, the Vietnamese. It's the fact that the first one is that he, uh, he or she, always says okay. Oh, I thought about it. Yeah, okay. We as Americans, we, we do say, do say okay. okay a lot. Not as like approval, but just as a a space saver or right. just a little dot or out of habits. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So he. So no matter how much anyone comes in and speak to him, and no matter how fluent their Vietnamese are, he can always tell that they're this person is from America because he says he just accent says okay. okay. <laughs> Yeah, and then the second thing is that Vietnamese Americans, um, they are actually polite. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they open up the door and they let other people go in, or they wait in line and they don't push people out of the way. <laughs> so, so, so is that yeah, Vietnamese American, we have a lot more etiquette and, and we're polite than that of. No more Vietnamese because no more Vietnamese are like pushing their way to the front of the line. Doesn't matter if there's a line, they all bunch in and and they don't hold the door for anyone <laughs> at all. They just yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting. It's like, but I thought about it, it's like it's kind of true. Though. Is there a Vietnamese equivalent of okay? Some kind of space color word? I would say uh, probably uh, yeah. 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 It was yeah. Yeah, but that, I think that's me because, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Don't We're going to investigate this. <laughs> I think because there's two ways because Vietnamese is kind of very polite because we're very pronoun in how we address people like uh, big brother, little sister, big sister, little sister, little brother, aunt or uncle. Like that. We're very pronoun. So it's like a, a polite way uh, uh, you address people. So, you know, the way we talk is that uh, in saying okay is uh, is o o means like yes right mm-hmm. but then that's a really, very rude way of saying it but then you say uh, there's also two other ways of saying yes it's like one is a uh, yeah which is uh, a very informal a very formal polite way of saying yes and then you say vang means that yes also and a very polite way of saying yeah. So it's uh, but for that place savers, I don't know. I think it's be O or something like that. <laughs> I need to go up. 
you know what, let's you and I get a ticket come back to Vietnam and let's Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but I, I'm thinking as you're talking, have you noticed when you speak Vietnamese with uh, other generations, whether they're older or younger than you, because it sounds to me that your Vietnamese is is limited, right? To yeah. uh-huh. a certain point in time and a certain age of your life. Have you noticed yeah. maybe when you're communicating with people who are, you know, maybe they are from Vietnam. Um, I mean, you're from Vietnam. People who are like living in Vietnam, maybe visiting yeah. or maybe like younger people. Do you mm-hmm. notice that yeah. maybe um, there's words that you use that are maybe outdated because your words are <laughs> kind of like in your generation and maybe in outside of your generation, the, the language has evolved and there's a new. So like, for example, in English, uh-huh. if we were going to say like the difference between saying something is far out, which you know uh-huh. that would be somebody who's like a hippie from the 60s. But now, but now like our age, like our generation would say, oh, that's cool or that's dope or that's awesome or something. Like, do you notice any kind of differences like that, like in the way that the language has changed? Um, Not for that, like pop culture references wise, because I haven't been to Vietnam for a decade. But I do know there's regional ways of saying things like the North. Vietnamese people and South Vietnamese people say two different things there. And, and I see that a little bit difference also in me because my parents are from the North. So when I learned Vietnamese, I learned the Northern uh, Vietnamese, but then all my f- Vietnamese friends are from the South. So they speak with the Southern, uh-huh. a little bit of an accent, a little bit of twang. So there's a little bit of uh, coincidence there too. So sometimes, you know, my Vietnamese friends which are from south they tease me but this is back in high school <laughs> they tease me you have a northerner's uh <laughs> accent right but uh the vocabulary I, I some of the words i speak are from the south oh, okay right so yeah so it's kind of funny that i have a northern accent but i use southern uh vocabulary are there any <laughs> are there any standout words that um that you could yeah, yeah. I think one is it's like let's say like there's um there's this uh, one uh meal or oh, food, right? Yeah, always go back to food for <laughs> gotta go back to food. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely interesting topic there. Um <laughs> it is baloney, right? Ukulim would be see baloney. Um in the north we call it um yeah, but in the south they call it uh low. Oh. So yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so northern is y'all. Sorry, excuse me. I correct myself. Y'all is the word for that. The Vietnamese, uh, alone. Right there, right? Uh-huh, y'all. And then, yeah. And then in the south, they call it, uh, lo. Lo. Yeah, uh-huh, lo. So, it's two different uh, words for the same thing. So, whenever I go to a Vietnamese, uh, deli shop, right, sandwich shop, and ask for, uh, uh, Vietnamese uh, bologna and pate, uh, y'all, my, uh, pate, they would say, oh, you mean, uh, they wouldn't understand at first, and they say, oh, yeah, order number seven. <laughs> and they say, oh, you mean low and pate? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I caught myself. Uh, like, I thought, because at home, we call it um, y'all, but outside in the, uh, the Vietnamese uh, sandwiches, which are Predominantly Southern Vietnamese, mm-hmm. they they use the South uh, vocabulary for it, though. So <laughs> yeah, that's why I uh, first lesson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good to know because I feel like Vietnamese food, especially here in New York, is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And oh, really? Yeah, I need yeah, to go. Yeah. There's stuff. actually a new banh mi place near near me, and mm-hmm. the line is out the door and around the corner every single day what? yeah it's really really popular and like also with pho yeah. it's like so popular now uh, so i think that yeah really? what do you 
Maybe I should go. To, maybe I should go to New York and open up my own pop up restaurant. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, being Vietnamese and seeing some of your foods from your country uh, becoming more popular in the states. Actually, I I think that's a good sign that the culture country is being into that the American cuisine, American culture itself. I can remember like in 75 coming up and growing up in America, we were, I seen so many racist comments and racist remarks for that Vietnamese people, right? And then it wasn't until like early 80s, like in 1984, where this uh, local TV anchorman, he did a, a five minute review uh, tasting on that of Vietnamese pho. And we were all excited. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, this is like a, a a, a local LA TV show, you know, mixed, seen by millions of people, and he's commenting how fuzz made from Vietnamese culture, and so I thought that was really cool. But he was pronouncing pho completely just horrible. <laughs> he's butchering. So I can just say it's like all the us kids watching the uh, TV, we saying the news uh, anchorman says fur. You have to try this Vietnamese uh, uh, soup. A dish called fur. It's beautiful. <laughs> it tastes wonderful. Beef noodles. And us Vietnamese kids look while people watching it. It's like, this guy is an idiot, I, but at least he's doing something and shedding a spotlight to it's uh, a start. Vietnamese cuisine. <laughs> it is a start. It was completely. So that was the very first uh, incident of being proud. I seen that how the Vietnamese culture uh, cuisine was being adopted uh, or a lot of spotlight right, being shown onto right. it. That's yeah, because before you know, yeah, before before the Vietnamese community was just fresh from the Vietnam War in the '75 when it uh, broke through. So, still a lot of resentment, anger, racism towards the recent immigrants, which is Vietnamese mm-hmm. people. But then now I'm seeing like foul restaurants opening up left right. and right. Yeah, I live here. I live. I grew up in Orange County, where it's the largest Vietnamese uh, population outside Vietnam. Right, three hundred thousand uh, Vietnamese. That's people. fantastic! There. Wow. So, yeah, so we know good, we know authentic Vietnamese pho, food here. And I move up to L.A. here, and it's a, uh, I see some Vietnamese places that are opened up, restaurants, and I tried it, and I was like, oh, man, this is not right. This is not right. It's Korean-owned, Ooh. but they're serving Vietnamese pho, but it's, it's just not the same. Right. It's, it's a level low. <laughs> but, you know, I'm hearing, the, but it's great to see that, on the one side, it's great to see that America cuisine uh, is being adopted and it's becoming so trendy because that is truly the first signal uh, of American uh, culture assimilating a particular um, uh, group, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Remember in the 80s, sushi, people were making fun of sushi. Yeah, oh, that's not yeah. food, that's live bait. But then now it's like sushi places all over. You can over, get sushi right? at the so gas station the now. Yeah, but I, would, I would not. Yeah, <laughs> unless you get a shot of a uh, side of penicillin <laughs> with it, then yeah, I'm at it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I have always known, uh, felt that you know, um, uh, once a particular uh, immigrant uh, kind of culture is being assimilated into it, uh, the first signage is uh, adopting their their right. food. Right. Yeah. So I'm happy for that aspect. Uh, being adopted and, and more widespread and trendy, but the quality has to be reflected right. on that because I see some really lacking. Like, <laughs> oh no, this is not this is not really food. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to tell you something that I learned when I was looking at mm. Vietnamese, and I, you probably know this. And this is something, it's one of those things where I always saw it, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And uh-huh. it. And then I started reading more and more about the Vietnamese alphabet. And mm. I learned that, because this yeah. podcast is about learning. I learned that mm. the, <laughs> uh, the Vietnamese alphabet is largely derived from the Portuguese alphabet. 
Yes, yes, it's actually uh, somewhat true. I have actually the story behind that. You do? I did research on that. Tell me. Yeah, yeah. Tell me. No, it? I found out, oh. but no, I want to hear it from you because I, I have a very technical definition that I printed out, but I want you to tell me. Oh. Because I was like, okay, so I'm what? Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're probably thinking like, how is the, the, the Portuguese uh, alphabet, but then we're French uh, influence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so like we're talking like hundreds of years ago, um, Judas priest uh, missionaries were all over that of Asia. And this is one particular uh, French Judas priest who was over in Indochina, Vietnam area. And so in Vietnam, back in those days, reading and writing was only for the elite, mm -hmm. right? And, and Vietnamese, uh, all the peasants or who did not have any money, didn't know how to read and write. So only the elites, uh, aristocrats of Vietnam, uh, when they re read and wrote, it was usually, usually without Chinese characters. Right. Right, but they still use Vietnamese, spoken Vietnamese. So fast forward uh, through that Jesuit priest, he stayed there, he learned Vietnamese, and he um, phonetically transcribed the Vietnamese language into the French alphabet, Portuguese alphabet, or whatever it mm -hmm. may be, right? And then, uh, and he so he used the French alphabet because he was a French uh, Jesuit priest, and then so he uh, learned the Vietnamese uh, language using the French alphabet. He went back to France, translated the French, the um, Portuguese Bible to v Vietnamese using that alphabet, the oh, French alphabet. Okay. There. So, and he taught a bunch of other um, missionaries. They went back to Vietnam and then they started teaching, converting Vietnamese peasants to uh, become Catholics, and then also in them teaching them, they use the the uh, phonetically translated Bible. So these peasants learned how to read and write the Vietnamese using the French alphabet to become Catholics. Uh -huh. So ta-da! That's, that's the story, that's and how, yeah, that's the story. Because so uh -huh. the thing that I was saying that I always looked at Vietnamese, and I said, "There's something about Vietnamese." that is different and i think to me not really being aware of any um yeah. indo asian asiatic languages and especially when it comes to different yeah. characters and i'm looking at it today and i say you know all of these letters are they're latin <laughs> yeah they're they're yeah, they're right latin and, and exactly. I, <laughs> ding, 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 dinner. <laughs> and this is my whole life i'm like i can't believe i didn't realize this until i started researching for this episode and i think that is i ah, think well, seriously, nice. i think it's really i think it's fascinating and i i wonder i wonder like how mm -hmm. I don't expect you to have an answer to this. I'm just speaking, but <laughs> I just wonder, I wonder <laughs> yeah. how Vietnamese culture before that has been able to survive past that, past the influence of the, the, the Portuguese. And I know, Oh, the Portuguese. I know. Yeah. yeah. I know, you know, I've, I've heard the history of, the French in Vietnam and how and how that influenced uh, the culture, and I think that's reflective mm -hmm. not only in the vocabulary and in in the yeah. alphabet, but also in the food. It always comes back to food with us. Um, yeah. yeah I mean <laughs> <laughs> do you think that? Um, well, I don't know. In in Vietnam, do do you know if a lot of the uh, kids learn French as a second language there? Actually, um, there now, I don't know what their, their academic criteria is, but I do know that there's a lot of French word incorporated into the Vietnamese mm -hmm. languages. I mean, like that of uh, Noel, we use that for that of Christmas, and then Hoopla, which is French, which is our word for that of egg, uh, sunny side up. Mm -hmm. But then realized that that's also a French word for that. Uh, yeah. Egg. 
right? And then uh, I have my girlfriend, she's fluent in French and she's trying to learn Vietnamese. And then she's realizing that there's, she's showing me that there are so many French words in Vietnamese <laughs> criteria. So it was an eye opener for me because I realized I thought these were just Vietnamese word because our pronunciation of the French word is so horrible that it sounds Vietnamese. That's how horrible <laughs> <laughs> it is. Like Noel, we don't say Noel. We said Noel. Noel, <laughs> right? And yeah, like upla. It's like upla. I think that so. I think that's really interesting that the language became a language based on another mm-hmm. language. It's just. It's like um. It's like it's like a mashup of. Well, it's I think it was the necessity because um, the just Jesuit press because um, only the elite people learn uh, knew how to read and write. They still spoke Vietnamese, and business was done uh, in that uh, Chinese character and Vietnamese common Vietnamese people. Um, they didn't know how to read and write, so because of that. Uh, interaction with the French because of the uh, that French missionary who, and all those who came after him to convert them on over to uh, Catholicism. They converted an entire country still speaking English, uh, still speaking Vietnamese, excuse me, but utilizing the French phonetic mm-hmm. alphabet. So, so in a way, it's one of those historical mash, mashups, as you say, that's incredible, but you know, um, it was an uh, opportunity for the masses of people to learn how to read and write. And you're talking like hundreds of years ago, the ability to read and write was a privilege. It wasn't a necessity. You know, it wasn't a, a human writing. It was a right. privilege to, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the interesting aspect. So I'm certain uh, um, other tribes out there <laughs> in Amazon. <laughs> so now now going forward, do you yeah. do you have a desire to become more facile? Do you have a desire to become truly fluent in Vietnamese? Um is that something you're know. working toward? I, it's not something working toward actively working towards. It's more passive. Um, because I know it's one of those things where it's ingrained in my upbringing, so I can speak it a, a little bit. Uh, yet my interaction with with my family are now predominantly um, in English, mm-hmm. and it's only, it's only my with the nieces and nephews that are more more tied to Vietnam that they're comfortable in speaking Vietnamese, and I'll speak Vietnamese to them. Mm-hmm. But to re get myself back into Vietnamese. Um, it's not a strong enough desire there yet because right now um, my next language target language is French, <laughs> mainly because my girlfriend she uh, is French, right. and so to communicate with her and her family, um, I have more of a reason to to do that. But you know the aspect of it is that my everyday interactions with that predominantly white people, uh, English-speaking people, excuse me, and then in, in incorporating more of my girlfriend in my life and meeting her family and having her family in my life or being part of her family, um, it's better for me to learn French. So that becomes uh, a, a goal for me. Of sorts. Do you think Vietnamese will help you? Yes, so with I would those think words so. that we that we were just talking about, I think it's learning multiple having the, the the basis of being ability to speak multiple languages is always a good thing, right? Because um, each culture, how they speak it, are are and their mindsets and grammars are done differently. So um, it's just one of the things where where your mind is a muscle, and if you don't use it enough then it uh, gets weaker but then also having the ability to learn a new language is forcing yourself to open up your world expand your your bubble of comfort right because uh, yeah yeah you're learning a language so you're learning about that culture you're learning about their 
food, how to talk, their history. So um, I, even if it's not for that, of, uh, if you have a girlfriend or significant other that you want, I think learning uh, another language is always going to be a good thing for anyone in that aspect of, in addition to being, being able to speak, ultimately speak, to become fluent in that language is the ultimate goal. But the auxiliary benefits of learning a new language is going to strengthen your mind, uh, keeps you sharp, and opens up the world, and you become a little bit more um, not as extreme in, in that of one sided dimensional stuff to become multifaceted multi-dimensional multicultural become a citizen Mm -hmm. of the world and and, yes exactly thank you (laughs) so tom Mm -hmm. i have just one one last question for you yeah do you have any (laughs) do you have any any advice for anyone who is out there and learning a second language whether uh whether they are like you were when you were a kid or when, as an adult, do you have any, any piece of advice that you, you'd want to offer someone? Yeah, um, I would say is that um, learning to curse words is the first fun thing. <laughs> foreign language there. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason that you're, you find that you want to learn a, a separate language, it's just repetitive, repetitive, uh, and it's going to be hard because it's completely. It's like teaching yourself how to learn to play a new instrument that you never played before, and don't give up on yourself. But also know that you're human, and it's going to take a while. And worst case scenario is, let's say you're trying to learn um, French. So learn a couple of keywords and then go to France, immerse yourself in that culture and, and you'll see the, you'll gain so much more inspiration, motivation to learn that foreign language. I, but I, my ultimately comes down to keep at it because learning a new language, there is nothing wrong. Never, it's never a failure. Even if you learn two, three words out of it, uh, the fact that you are have made this conceited effort to learn a new language is a good thing, and it's going to be a positive uh, thing to add to who you are as a citizen of the world. That's great advice, and uh, good luck learning French. You'll have to come back at a later episode <laughs> so we can we can compare notes on learning French, and we can we can keep up with your progress. Oui. And we'll catch up with you. How do you oui. say thank you in Vietnamese? Ah, cảm ơn. Cảm ơn. Mm-hmm. Cảm ơn. Cảm ơn, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with me. And I cannot wait to follow the rest of your language learning adventures. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, the invite and me allowing me to be part of this uh, podcast. It's a great podcast. Thank you so much. And right. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.